A good 80s Jean-Claude Van Damme flick. Oh yeah. Machine guns and explosions in a nest of bad guys. Oh yeah. All this awesomeness, but like totally with Klingons. Oh yeah. It's time for grown men geeking out on Klingons part 2. Last time on the rules of acquisition. We have like a series of VSEs coming up, man. The next episode's a oh, oh, the Maquis, too. yeah, yeah. Like, goddamn, we can, and then the wire after all the Maquis. Oh, right. Shit. We got a lot of heavy lifting, dude, dude. This episode may be the least important of these three. Yeah, right. Four episodes coming up. <laughs> but it's got Klingon shit, so it's got Klingon shit, so I love it. <laughs> All right, we ready to do this? All right, yeah. We ready to talk about Terry Farrell for an hour? Oh, Blood Oath. That's the episode we're talking about. Is that right? Yes, that's uh, right. We're done with Prelude to Blood Oath, which feels like an awesome movie to me. But... You know, to get us started, I have the IMDb storyline, which is a little bit better. goes in depth a little bit more if you guys want me to read it real quick just to kick it off. Sure, okay. go for that. And then I, I got a thing. I got a, a way that I want to address this originally. Okay, IMDb Quark calls in help of Odo to remove an old drunk Klingon, keeping the hollow suite occupied. His name is Kor, and he is visited by Koloth, another old Klingon, who leaves him again <laughs> when he finds out Kor is drunk. An older Klingon. When Dax hears about it, she immediately recognizes their names. They were friends of Curzon Dax, and when the two are joined by yet another Klingon, Kang, Jadzia knows why they're on the station. In the past, Curzon made a blood oath with the three to kill the albino. A bandit who was defeated by them. A bandit who was defeated by them. He swore revenge (laughs) and killed their firstborn sons, including Dax's grandson. Godson. For a lifetime. Grandson? Does it say Dax's grandson? Godson, my bad. For a lifetime, they tried to find him, and Kang now finally located him. Koloth and Kang, however, are disappointed to discover Curzon is dead. They don't want to take Jedzia along. While she feels she must fulfill the oath, she tries to convince Koloth and Kang to change their decision. Yeah, so that's basically what we're looking at here. Okay, so I'm going to ask this of, of us, and, and I think that you guys can totally convince me of this. We've watched 38 episodes so far. This is episode 19 of the second season. There was 19 in the first season. Is Convince me this is not the best episode so far we've seen. Oh, I, I think you're too far away from some of the really good ones. Yeah, we've had some stinkers lately. Uh, duet? We've had duet. Yes. We've had... Yeah, I would say duet Duet was far... Was very... This... Listen, this is still some Jean-Claude Van Damme shit at the end. So let's, let's not... <laughs> <laughs> I knew this was going to bring the best out of you, so that's why I asked. All right, all right, okay. all right. I was okay. going to say, okay. like, let's... Let's not forget about how this shit ends in some silly nonsense. I just want to—I just want to say that you framed it in a way that doesn't necessarily overrule it as the best episode. Some John Claude Van Damme shit <laughs> is not like because depending think, like, on your feelings, of John Claude Van Damme shit. I, I agree with you. Episode. In the third act, it becomes like a canon film. But I, <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I kind of don't hate that. But keep going. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's my point. Is I know I I don't think anybody's going to argue that this is better than Duet. I don't think that you don't think it's. I don't think that's possible. You don't. You don't think it's I mean, better than Necessary Evil. See, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not even sure if I. That'd be as good. I think it. I think it's on par with some of the best. I don't think it transcends. I don't think it's transcendent. Okay. Yeah, I would agree with you. Maybe I felt like if 
Necessary Evil is still maybe my favorite that we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Cardassians, but just because the acting is so great by everyone, yeah, by everyone, mm-hmm. uh, no, I, <laughs> by I, everyone I, in I Necessary give, Evil. I give you, I give you an issue. With Some this. of the acting in this does not hold up as well as the acting in Necessary Evil. Not to say that it's all horrible okay. or that it's even bad, but it's not as good as what we get in those. Okay. This, I think we've just both, I think, well, you bring an interesting point about the ending, that it turns into just action schlock. I think I'm with weight on this, is that the problem is, is that this is probably the greatest episode of Deep Space Nine so far, but it's built on a table with four bad legs. <laughs> and, and three of which you can excuse for being their older actors out of the game, <laughs> but um, I think... See, I, I would say it's, I like two... And a half of the legs of the table. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I like Core. I like jo- Kol- Koloff. Koloff acted like he he wasn't used to being called up for shows. Um, I, I thought he was fine. I really, I had, I didn't have a problem with his performance. He was fine. I thought he was, he was fine, but I thought he was a little bit. Him uh, to be honest with you, he wasn't even that pivotal in the episode that he was in in the original right, series. That's, that's what yeah. I'm saying. I watched the triple episode, the last, and he is almost inconsequential on that episode. Yes. And he, he looks weird. It uh, makes me feel racist to say it, but he looks weird as this pure white guy Klingon. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Which is weird because we eventually actually end up with the pure white Klingon that's even weirder in this episode. Yeah, well, yeah. that's the question. Yeah, is he a Klingon, the albino? I, I don't uh, think he's a Klingon. He is. I don't, th- he, I don't Well, know, let's, we'll get there in he a minute. He called him but, Klingon yeah. scum at the end, so I don't know if the albino was or not. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was saying. I don't know. So anyway, so I think that I'm just going to just lay it all out. The, the main core of this episode is that I think that the script, I think that Peter Allen Field, in every possible way, wrote the best representation of Dax as a character mm-hmm. on the page. I think that it does everything we, and I explained it to my wife in the most vulgar way possible that we've been flicking the clit uh, <laughs> to getting closer to, to a true Dax character. And this one, we went, we went balls deep. And I think that, um, okay, that that's how you explain it to your wife. huh? That's how I explain it to my <laughs> wife. Who's used to me saying things like this. <laughs> For sure. And so I think we went balls deep and I think that we get, Everything that you want from a Dax character, from a representation of what is bringing her into it, like a top 10 Star Trek character, I think it works in this episode. And then I think it's a step back every scene. I mean, I feel really bad. I just don't think Terry Farrell's up to carrying a character this layered and nuanced. I mean, you can... She's, she's, I'm tr- I want to disagree with you, but I, I don't know that I can. She seems like a... Well, I, her performance didn't bother me at all. I think it's she's fine. Yeah, me too. But she's not it's not doing anything transcendent. She's not transcendent, which an actor could be in, in this script. Yeah, and on the page, it's kind of transcendent. It is a character who is at war with an idea of her former self. Right, yeah. We spent like, so much time trying to figure out whether she's the same person or not. Finally... In that last Dax episode we had where she's training the Trill Initiate, mm-hmm. they've settled the question. She is not – she says at the end, I'm not Curzon, mm-hmm. and she walks off. And this is her having to wrestle with debts that Curzon has, and it's great. I totally forgot about that episode. Mm-hmm. But – Yeah, and then she carries this sort of intensity over that, that Curzon made a bond that stretched beyond – that. Jadzia feels tied to. Yeah, slugs are thicker than water. That's the way I... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And not only tied to, but there's a point when the argument is made, you should not feel this way. Mm -hmm. 
Kira makes it, and then Cisco makes it. Everybody makes it, yeah. yeah. And it's also a conflict with the Federation. Kang makes it. Yeah, it's a con like she's actually going out and murdering someone, and Kang makes it. Mm-hmm. And everybody makes it. And then Jadzia not only defies it, but brazenly defies it. Yeah. Yeah. In a way that was all I didn't understand her arc in this at all. I but mean, see, that's that's Terry Farrell's problem. You would have got it if a better actress was in this role. It would have been thrilling to watch someone so openly defy reason. I guess. (laughs) I'll take your word for it. No, I think that I I can see it on the page, and I love it, that there is this bond, that her bond to being, and they even, they even, like, they've dealt with it before, that she's this sort of culture sponge and that she, and Curzon was a culture sponge too, that she, why do you, why do you absorb yourself into these people? Why do you, you know, do this? Um, why do you hang out with Ferengi? Why are you spending all of this time with these sort of gross, non-Federation, anti-sort of peripheral alien races? And she loves it. And you find that she's adapted really deeply into the Klingon culture. And that's a character trait that does not go away at this episode. Nope. That is probably one of her main traits as the show goes on. It's her affinity for the Klingon culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we don't have to spell it out. You people know what it is. Yeah. We, yeah. yeah her, her affinity for a lot of things with the Klingon culture. <laughs> like her affinity for the Klingon culture does not go away. And that, that somehow that that tie to these men, to these three old men, is bigger than anything else that we've seen in the show. The fact that it defies reason and the def- fact that not only does she choose to make the decision, but she fights so hard to make the de- to, to convince everybody. There's a scene where she convinces Kor and then Koloff and then Kang and then Cisco and then Kira. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like the whole show is just her at war with people overriding her to make this decision that it becomes noble. Mm-hmm. I think it would be nobler if I could see it in a, I don't know. I mean, I, it's hard to put your finger on why she's not doing such a great job in it. It's all there on the page, but I, I do feel like that, you know, that I think there was stuff, meat on the bone, that was left on, on the page and not brought into real. Okay, so wait a minute. Your your whole argument is that this is the best episode, but you're also saying that the person that we have to watch... Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no. The best episode we've watched so far, but your whole argument is is that you were underwhelmed by the person we're watching for 45 years. I hate to be political. I never said it was the best episode. I asked you guys you to were us, you son of a- I was baiting. <laughs> I was convincing you guys to convince me that it wasn't. You mother. I think this is James best- Nolan. You son of a bitch. <laughs> I think this is the best script we've gotten on Deep Space Nine. Better than duet, huh? Better than duet. <laughs> because I, a, I think it's a little bit more. I think, I think you're like, ridiculous. I think that's silly. I think the, the uh, last half of this script is just guys falling over railing into Frank Lloyd Wright house. <laughs> I mean, it, I think that's the stupidest thing. <laughs> it's different. Obviously, it's an action film. Obviously, it's an action. <laughs> I like. Oh, okay, all the stuff. Okay, you're you're talking about the Frank Lloyd Wright house, but all the stuff when they have to hunker down in the woods, like afterwards, they're like, "You go here, you go here," and there's all of it. But it is, oh yeah, that looks great. On it's the just, <laughs> shut up. But it, was just, <laughs> but it was established that not only is that it's not Curzon Dags that make this decision. God, I hate that I'm making this point, but that Jadzia Dax made the decision, and she's <laughs> right. bringing all of her. She's bringing all of her science. She's bringing all of her smarts 
to it in the fact that she basically, she saved the mission. Oh, she does. Yeah, there's a point where she's like, oh my god, it's a good thing that Jadzia Dax was a science officer. You're in luck. That whole thing. Yeah, and that she knows how to stop the phasers and make it into a bat left fight instead of a phaser fight. And that she, at some point, someone has a smart decision, but she goes, that's a great idea, but you're an old fucking man and you can't pull it off. And I can because I'm like a 24-year-old woman. Right, yeah. You have to run across a field quickly. You're fat and old. I can run fast. And, <laughs> and, and you know what? Klingons aren't one to kowtow around. They're like, you're right, you go. They're not offended. They're like, you're right. Just for the record, I went to Memory Alpha and looked up the albino, <laughs> and everything is very vague as to what sort of species he actually belongs to. So I think it's vague on purpose. Yeah. Yeah, all they say is that he is a depredator that was attacking Klingon outpost. So it's kind of funny that Klingons have been set up as just the Vikings of this world, raiders, basically, especially in TNG versus original series where they're just they're a military empire. And they're still an empire, but they're set up as Vikings especially. But then they are talking about there's these depredators that came in that they killed. And the albino is the only one that got away. And then the albino then the albino infected all of them with a genetic virus, which, <laughs> which is interesting in the context of the retcon that Enterprise does 10 years later, where they have a genetic virus that makes them human. And then the fact that the albino infected their sons with the genetic virus almost in a looking back kind of point of view was like oh oh that makes sense why this was such this blood oath is so important maybe the klingons have are really sticky about you know genetic viruses mm -hmm. yeah though when this was written that this bullshit yeah no, that's that's a retcon explanation brandon braga had not come up with that idea i yeah, mean because yeah. it's brandon braga that came up with that idea who didn't write for the show not really. yeah um i guess i i guess i feel like i should say that no i don't think this is a better episode than duet and i guess that my my argument would be cast it now with the best actors you can imagine in these roles and i'm gonna go ahead and say that i think that not just because she's limited as an actress but i think that probably terry as now i think that they've gotten into a idea of what they want this character to be i think terry farrell is probably the wrong actress to play this role I think that they were really going for a starkly beautiful woman, like a model, who was really like some aged, wizened sort of Yoda master. But that's not what we have now. We have a woman who's a kid. They keep calling her like a young girl. Where I'm sorry, Terry Farrell looks 30. Like, no one would just automatically call her a young girl. So I almost want to, like, if, if Terry Farrell, Jadzia Dax, was a 21-year-old Asian girl. And looked like she had come from a home with a tiger mother and a disaffected father. Like that sort of stereotype. I think that we could see these weird character tricks, the Ferengi stuff, the sex stuff, all of that stuff, as these weird representations of the slug at war with the young Judas scientist woman that was holding it in her belly. And I think that this episode is a very sort of clear, interesting sort of play on that, exploring that of like which one is the young science girl and which one is the slug in her belly. And is there, you know, like in the whole point of this episode, there's no point. There's, she's all of that. All working towards this last moment, the, the John Claude Van Damme moment, which I think does on the page have some importance that maybe got lost in the blocking of her cornering the albino. Yeah. And basically getting the drop on him after the albino has basically put down Kang, whose son was the one that was murdered by the albino. 
she distracts but him. apparently all were was it just king's son or was that her only godson that was unclear yeah because he unleashes a g- genetic virus against the firstborn of all of them of three generals that were sent i think that kang was the only general that we saw whose son died okay so they don't say three generals because we've got three klingons in this show that's confusing i totally agree with you on that so you think that Kor lost a son and Kolov lost a son? I don't know. No, no, I did too. Because they're all in it for Kang. Yeah, but they're all in it for Kang. So obviously they're just helping Kang get his revenge. But no, 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 they all lost sons. No, they all lost sons. Because no, yeah, I'm pretty sure that it was just Kang that lost a son. There were two other unnamed Klingon generals who lost sons. Two. No, it says on in revenge, the albino infected each of the three captains' firstborn sons <sighs> with a genetic virus that slowly killed the children. I disagree with the writers. The I... three fathers, plus Curzon Dax and the godfather, yeah. and namesake of King Sung, swore a blood oath to track him down to kill the albino in revenge. That's IMDb, though. I can't say that that's candid. No, this is this is memory alpha. Oh, okay. Well, that's the same thing. I think. Let me see here. It is my understanding because I I read. So you're you're gonna go up against Memory Alpha on this. For the record, both of you are. Gonna... Yeah, I'm not fighting that fight. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry. I'm I'm a co-podcaster on one of the preeminent <laughs> Deep Space Nine podcasts. Wow. No. <laughs> hey, James Nolan's opinions do not reflect those <laughs> of the rest of the rules of acquisition. All right. Podcast. I'm gonna say no, that it, it is because I kept. Rewinding it, I kept rewinding it. At no point does anyone mention a dead son but Kang. That's true. Kor and Koloff. They said that we they killed our son. He killed your son, and they're friends with him. Um, I, it is a little wish. Watching the episode, it wasn't clear, and it felt like I Kang was the big. I got the impression Kang was like the big guy that they were all looking up to because he had a dead son. That's what it felt like. And they're all fighting on his behalf because they're... She's told Kira that they sent three generals to track down the deregulators. What? The derogators? Degradators. Degradators. They sent three generals out to... Three captains out to fight the degradators. And she was friends with one of them. I feel like she would have said she was friend that those were Kang. I think she would have made that clear in that description. At that point. Well, no, she's only godson. She's only... That's why it's confusing. Like, they're all best friends with Kang. For something that was so beautiful on the page, it's pretty vague, isn't it? Fuck you. (laughs) She only had a blood oath to Kang's son because Kang's son was her godson and her namesake. So she's not indebted to any of the other ones. Even if their sons were dead, Kang is the one she made a blood oath to. Which is the name of the episode. It's, the whole, it's not because she's just good friends with this guy. She's made a sacred oath, and that's why it's so important to even the slug that's outlived Curzon Dax, is because that was her godson, and she made I the understand oath. her angle, but the other two lost sons too, is my point. See, that's what. I think they're just friends with Kang. I, they lost sons as far as, as I thought that the, the three generals lost their sons. I feel like it. that's in the show, it felt like. They ki- I thought they actually said that. <laughs> no, they really don't. They really don't. They but say that they sent three generals. Even if they do, it feels like... They say that Kang is one of them. They do not say that Kang, Koloff, and Kor are the two other generals. It feels like they do intend for them to be... They wouldn't say three 
Klingons if it weren't the three of them. I get you. But I get you a proper editor. If if Michael Pillar was doing his job, even if they are avenging their sons, it feels like they're mainly in it for Kang, which is yes, which is weird if they're not in it to avenge their sons as well. Yeah, it's unclear. It's a little weird. Yeah, Koloff and Kor were there to help Kang extract vengeance. They were not there to extract their own I, vengeance. I, I got the impression that they were extracting their own vengeance. Then why didn't Kor want a death blow on the albino? I don't know. It's so beautiful on the page. I don't understand. <laughs> no, I think that this is a... I think that's a sloppy miss. But I, I think that... Because Kang is the only one in the original series that they introduced his wife to the audience. Yes. I don't know. And she almost got... By the way, she, she almost got... Totally sexually abused by Sulu. Not Sulu. Not Sulu. Don't put that on him. Check off. Check yeah, off, don't check put off. that on him. <laughs> Sorry. Sulu's gay anyway. Oh, no, he's not gay. Don't ask. Yeah, it's complicated. Don't piss off George Decay by calling Sulu gay. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, that's all. Uh, okay, I don't know what to make of that. Chekhov rips her bodice off. Like, so you see. Yeah, he does. He about yeah. sexually violates a Klingon lady because she's hot. Okay, but. It's, it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And she is kind of attractive, you're right. But anyway. But not, no. Yeah, even if she is. No, 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 no. You and I aren't going to rape anybody. (laughs) (laughs) We're such gentlemen here on the Rules of Acquisition podcast. Took a strange turn there. Sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Wait, so, okay, just to get you on... You think that the flaws with this episode are not all resting with Terry Farrell. You believe that the flaws, if they have them, it's on the page. Hugh. No, I, I feel like, why does it have to be either or? Because we're a nitpicky podcast. All right. See, if you go to Coors, if you go to Coors Alpha page, it says that his son was killed by the albino too. Really? Yeah. yeah this is, really. This is established in Memory Alpha. Yeah, this is Memory Alpha. Core Memory Alpha. I'm going to war with Memory Alpha on this. Fuck, fuck them. I, I don't know. I legitimately. Okay, I'm just going to put this out there because I don't want to be look. I don't want to be proven wrong. Is this legitimately an issue? Like, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I understood it one way, but I guess that I don't know. If it's on Memory Alpha, I'm assuming that they've had these arguments before. Yeah, that's just crazy sloppy writing. If one of them is this guy and the other two are just no-name people. It's a, it was a one throwaway line that they implied. Why that- are they letting, they are letting Kang run the ship. They are letting Kang run the whole option. Kor and Koloff didn't spend years finding the motherfuckers. I know, it's a little off. And Kor doesn't that- give, Kor is only going. He makes it very clear. He'd be happy fucking Dabo girls at Gork's bar. But he has to go because he's if his allegiance to Kang. Yeah, but he's also a little ashamed of himself. So when he has a friend calling him out, he's gonna go and. That's because do the he's, right he ride. You know, he's a ride or die guy with Kang. Right. But and well, it just it's all it's all speaks to Kang's magnetism and something about Kang as a guy that follows through on stuff. He's a guy everybody looks up to. I mean, and they're not gonna. They're definitely not one to disregard their oaths to kill this guy mm-hmm. but they're not going to be the most proactive because they're old men and they figured that they've tried before on galdon terry and they got squashed and they're just like i don't know kang is the guy that can't let it go mm-hmm. and they can't let it go either but kang's a guy that's like they're a part of kang's posse and kang can't let it go yeah, yeah yeah and i think that that's the and because he's the the main guy he's not that i don't remember the actor not tashara mifune but the one that's not tashara mifune yeah, the, yeah. One that, the other one he's the one that he married barbara eden in real life so he gets to be the alpha what? dog wait tashara mifune married barbara eden the actor who played kang is married to barbara eden okay really yeah 
Well, fucking guy, man. What a lucky motherfucker. He's from, yeah, he um, he also did the voice of Mr. Freeze on the animated series, Batman animated series. Oh, so oh wow. That guy's, that guy's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Barbara Eden. Wow. Michael Ansara. Yeah, Michael Ansara. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was also, he's in another great, he's in the, the Jake Sisko as the Candyman episode later on. Oh, yeah. The Visitor. The Visitor. The yeah, Visitor. Yeah. yeah, he's in that episode as not, as not Kang, because obviously Kang dies. Yeah. Kang, spoiler alert, Kang dies in this episode. Yeah. So does Koloff. <laughs> yeah. The Visitor, also known as the one where everybody that watches it cries. Yeah. Yeah. It's where Worf's brother plays Jake Sisko. Oh, yeah. And then even in at one point in this episode, they get back onto the Klingon decline. Like, mm-hmm. well, at one point, it's either, I think it's probably Kang or something talking to Dax. The decline of the Klingon Empire. Oh, yeah. Where, you know, we used to be killing everybody. Oh, make the Klingon Empire great again. Yeah, yeah. I hated that stuff. Used to be we were killing everybody. Now now we're opening restaurants and serving rack to children of people that... Oh, the gentrification. <laughs> yeah, we're serving rack to children to the people that we used to kill. Those I've killed, their children I'm serving sushi to, basically. And it's like, oh, it's almost like... Yeah, you're right. You're right. They are actually... Because it's a clever sort of way of dealing with the fact that the show is obviously monetizing Klingons as a popular I'm sure this was I don't know but I'm sure that whatever month this this aired was sweeps week <laughs> so they got to say that this was like a Klingon episode yeah it was that that fits it was March I believe yeah so it was like sweeps week or whatever which is such an antiquated idea now that we have right you know that, that like everybody that the Nielsen families used to fill out a little book and then mail them in. And so the month that they were to mail them in, they always put the best episode. <laughs> but anyway, right. but I'm sure it was Sweeps Week. And so I'm sure that they had to put their best foot forward. And a Klingon episode probably drew in two more viewers than a non-Klingon episode. Two million more viewers. So, I, right. you know, I think that, that that's probably what they were doing. So they actually got to contextualize them, you know, trying to monetize or exploit Klingon lore with... The Federation exploiting Klingon lore at this area. So it's kind of like the Kling, oh, this is a hard word to say, Klingon exploitation <laughs> of the Federation. Klingon exploitation. Klingon exploitation yeah. of the Federation. And, and I think that that's definitely a thing that's going on. And I think obviously you have within the show, you have the Kittimer Accords and all of these sort of co. We've now met two or three. I think probably by this point you've met two or you're about to meet two half Klingon, half humans with whatever her name is, Alexander's mom and their TNG. And then, oh, on TNG. And yeah. then you have Torres and oh, right, right, and Voyager. Voyager, which is, I think, like a year later. So, I mean, you have you have multiple sort of, you know, so you have all of this in the show. There is intermixing of Klingon culture with the rest of the Alpha Quadrant. And I'm sure that that was... That meant old people don't like that, you know, make make Klingon great again. Right. That's were probably pretty popular. Like, I'm sure that there was this sort of, you know, go back to the old days of ravaging planets mm-hmm. yeah. before the Kittimer Accords, you know, so. Right. And it sets up, I've talked about this before in Deep Space Nine, is the Klingons as the rebels in a Western of the people that are, you know, the ex-Confederate soldiers that wish they didn't mm-hmm. surrender or whatever. But Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah, totally agree. Especially if Bajor gets to take over the Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. One of the things that was interesting was a throwaway line that I liked that Kang used to sort of put Dax in her place was he said that the only reason Curzon Dax made the blood oath anyway was so that he could get to sucker Kang into signing whatever peace accords that Curzon was there to 
administer. Right, yeah. And, and that it was a political tactic, that the blood oath itself was like a bullshit political tactic. Yeah. And I think that was such an interesting concept that this wasn't a heartfelt thing from Curzon. Right, but she gets angry when he mentions that. She does. I mean, it's basically, you made my friend as a political ploy, and she's like, fuck you. Yeah, you're right, but I like to, like, at some point I like to humor, like, I, I wish they'd gone into that a little deeper. I wish there was a little meat on that bone, because I think that would have been interesting to me. I think so, but if you made it just a political ploy, that would be Actually, it would be interesting because it sits up Curzon as just like a Machiavelli. Like, yeah, yeah. I like, mean, I like anything that shits on Curzon that, that somehow Jedzia is the person that feels obligated to pay his debts, his shittily, you know, his non, not on the level duplicitous debts. Right. You know? Well, and then even Core gets that with he's got the Dabo girls on his arm. They might not be Dabo girls. He's got two whores on his arm. <laughs> <laughs> and, who was who was and then Curzon like helps him drink the drink because he's like how do I choose p- between perfection and my appetites or whatever yeah cool of course great and she's like whatever core and he's like Curzon used to be into this shit what's wrong with oh this sucks <laughs> You're like a girl now. Like, you've ruined everything. Yeah, yeah. Curzon's, yeah, what happened to Curzon's priorities, I think is what he says. You're not true to the Curzon character, man. You've like all cast it different. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Core is an MRA. It's very funny. <laughs> no, uh, so that's interesting. So should we get to the uh, to the Jean-Claude Van Damme element of the episode? Yeah, well, eventually Jadzia. Well, then, Go ahead, Wade. Before then we have Core, his commentary was that Kang thinks and then Koloth feels. Yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah, which is interesting. Which I wish it was the other way around, because almost that makes that fits better with the. That makes more. But if I were trying to match them with the original series, which is really impossible to do, because they're really they're not they're not that deep characters to really do it. But <clears throat> I feel like Koloth in the Trouble of Tribbles definitely. I don't know. Maybe he thinks more, or maybe he's. I don't know. Never I don't know. He's like knows. in two scenes. Who the fucking knows? Yeah, yeah. He's like there to be the. He looks. It's weird. It's weird. He's the least developed of those three characters in those three episodes. Right. He's just the leader. And then the other guy's the guy that's finagling things. And then there's a third Klingon that is disguised as a human. Yeah. Or maybe just because he has that disease that they set up in Enterprise. That's possibly. The more I think about it, the more I less want to shit on Brandon Braga for setting up that there's a disease that makes the Klingons basically human looking because it makes sense. Yeah, it does fit a little bit. I mean, when you watch the episodes, other than Scott Bakula scowling at the camera, yeah, they're not that bad ap- episodes. This was, I think, we should point out that this is towards the end of the show. Yes, it was in the final. This episode was like it was like the final four or five episodes. Yeah, clearly, because I used to be so affronted that they even felt the need to do this in at Star Trek because I had. I had already made a bad decision about how I felt about Enterprise without watching it, just from what people told me. And then the fact that they felt the need just pissed me off for some reason. But now I'm coming around. We need to make a rec. We have to make a reckoning with you and Enterprise. Yeah, most definitely. And I think we may yeah, later we'll, on. We'll work that out some other time. Yeah, <laughs> we're talking about ways to make an intro. But um, this show is not without flaws, and specifically those episodes. I wa- I re- rewatched them after Hugh convinced me to this week. Uh, it's not the worst, but it's not the best either, huh? There's uh, there's some interesting stuff, and nothing else is that I really like. Uncle Phil's yes. play at a Klingon. Yeah, he does a pretty good job. He does some good character work with that Klingon, and you do get to oh, Uncle Phil, I love. 
He means Shredder. Is he Shred? Is he the voice of Shredder? Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince. Yeah. Yeah, he was the voice of Shredder. Yeah. Oh, I don't know that. Yeah, he's the main Klingon and one of the main Klingons in this episode. And you get to deal with like the other Klingons, and it's a little. I think it's a little convoluted because they bring augments and like con type things oh, shit okay. into this episode. But and they didn't necessarily need to. Mm, Enterprise is ate up with that kind of stuff. It is ate up with too much. Like everything is just a little too complex. But then one of the things I was I was going back when we were talking about going back and watching these original episodes, the trouble with Tribbles, which we all think is just a cute Tribbles episode, that's a complicated yeah. fucking episode, man. It's about like fucking grains and like grain transportation and there's cling like that's a that's a multi like I, I can't believe how much shit they yeah, crammed Cyrano into like Jones forty five minutes of <laughs> Cyrano Jones. It's like the trading spaces, uh, <laughs> trading places of you know how like Trading places is, is awfully uh, complex for being a, a stupid comedy in the 80s. <laughs> yes. it, it's the same thing with The Trouble with Tribbles. Yeah, it's so complicated. And the, half the time, you're just like in a daydream. I don't know where this episode is going. And like you have all of this like interpersonal shit between the Department of Agriculture and like how colonies work and why everybody's pissed at Kirk and they don't really explain why. Well, and it's all, it is, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's that, about the bureaucracy of the, of like the Federation and who answers to who and, mm-hmm. yes. and how resources <laughs> should be allocated between Starfleet and like colonization. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty convoluted. That's what I was like when I was watching, I was like, this is one of the most famous episodes. It's basically boring as fuck. <laughs> it's just, it just has cute, balls of fur in it <laughs> well it's okay so you watch uh you watch Aaron to mercy which is generously 20 pounds of story in a 40 pound bag <laughs> and, <laughs> and um treble triples is a 60 pound story in a 40 pound bag and so you watch them both back to back and you're like what the fuck is going on here and I think that maybe something happened after, and I don't know, I haven't, I'm not a, I'm a, I'm a Deep Space Nine podcaster, I'm not an original series podcaster. Something must have happened after City on the Edge of Forever, where it was like, we were able to tell a really complicated and really, like, lots of turns story in like an hour, and it worked. Yeah. <laughs> so let's write really complicated stories from this point on. And Trouble with Triples, which is a classic story, it's still like, God damn, there's so much shit going on. And it is a mystery about these grains and what's going on with the grains. And the triples are almost an afterthought, but you still spend about 20 minutes of your time. Yeah, that's how you lock the viewers in because they're cute for some because that's what they're famous for being it's like oh look these yeah but there's like this long bar fight with Cyrano Jones with like like a comedy piece oh, yeah with Cyrano Jones stealing drinks from the bar and yeah it's, it's just like physical comedy like let me pull these I mean that's just classic 60s shit yeah yeah like I think it was probably like they thought it was fun to watch the fight mm-hmm because it probably happened in real time. Yeah. Like, that was probably a lot of, like, stage combat, like, trickery. Yeah. And not, like, a lot of TV editing tricks. Totally, yeah. Well, it's just one long shot watching Cyrano Jones, like, mints around pulling drinks out of his pockets. And then Chekhov flies over a table and crashes into the back of a bar. Yeah, yeah. And so, that yeah, I think that you, I think I was a viewer was supposed to enjoy that more than I did. Yeah. Should we should we wrap up Blood Oath? Yeah, we should keep going. Yeah, so Yeah, yeah. Get to let's get to the Frank Lloyd Wright House. Yeah, let's go to Act Three, which is the Canon film. Yes. <laughs> I which what I thought were proto brain for a while, like guarding the Frank Lloyd Wright house. Oh yeah. But it's not. It's just humans and stupid helmets. And then they say may Kalis guide us. 
Has Kalis already been set up? Oh yes, oh yes. Kalis has been set up well okay. in TNG. Okay, just checking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it. Did, yeah, I, I spent most of this time trying to figure out if they were in Big Sur, California, but they weren't. They were in Pasadena. So <laughs> Pasadena looks very nice yeah. in certain parts. They were obviously very... in California somewhere, though. Yeah, yeah, they were somewhere in California with palm trees. Yeah, it looked uh, very similar to wherever they filmed the speeder bike sequence from Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Yeah. But it was a yeah, it was a Frank Lloyd Wright house, and it looks like a Frank Lloyd Wright house <laughs> set up, and they have a big fight there, and they have a, a sort of an invading the castle sort of sequence, and then a, a, a Batleth, I think a full board Batleth fight. Which oh yeah, can we go back back when Dax confronts Kang or K- no Koloth in the Hollow Suite? I, I just wanted to just say and just get it over with. She looked real awkward. She looked goofy with a bat lift in that fight. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's all I'll say. Yeah, she, yeah. Yeah, she just never really, <laughs> she never really slides into this episode. Yeah, so we, we get that. And then um, I say that this was one of the, like, this was written by Peter Allen Fields, but it was also directed by Winrick Kolb. It may be Colby. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Let's say Wendrick Colby. And he's one of the better directors of Deep Space Nine episodes so far. So we're still we're still dealing with Masterclass here. He played Wagner's Gotterdammerung while filming all of the battle sequences. Oh yeah. Good for him. Yeah, so it's uh so you have uh sort of Wagner they they he piped in Wagnerian music to all of the Batlev fights. But nice. Yeah, that's the way to do but it. But still as good as they were. You could still tell there was a lot of Ben Gay applications, a lot of Blue Emu going on after the filming uh, of these sets because it's it's clearly six old guys fighting with batlets. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's six old guys and Terry Farrell fighting batlets for yeah, and, and a tentative actor. Yes, <laughs> yes. So two two nebulous alien races, three Klingons. And Terry Farrell. Yeah, and then they get to, like, Edgar Winter and an Admiral Akbar <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> yeah, Admiral Akbar we'd actually see before, and that uh, it's the same actor and the same alien race makeup of a character from The Passenger, which was uh, the, oh. yeah, that episode, the Bashir. The Bashir, oh, the Bashir. The Bashir should have been fired from the show episode. Well, the Rick Berman fucked over Yes. Alexander Siddiq by making him re- him redub his vocals. Yes. Episode. Yeah, that, that episode, which we've all scrubbed from our brains. Yeah, he played the same alien race on that episode, I guess. Yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, so you have this long fight, and, and I think that it does, to go back to the great script, I think it goes back to a clear sort of choice, where Koloff falls, Kor does it because he, he had to like stay alive, but Kang falls in like a fatal wounding, falls to the ground the, by the albino. Then Jadzia Dax, which the whole question of the show is, can Jadzia Dax kill someone in cold blood? Which I'm not even sure if that's that interesting of a question. (laughs) I'm not in love with it as much as you were, but go on. Let's see how it was resolved. I'm I'm in love with it. I'm in love with it. Right. I'm in love with it. But that's the question. They spend a lot of time with her figuring, and she doesn't kill any. These three Klingon old men are fighting their asses off, killing dudes Mm -hmm. like Klingons do, and she's just like, She's useless in that fight because she doesn't want to kill anybody. Exactly. So she pulls, she she gets him, she kind of kind of corners the albino where she gets the drop on the albino. But the albino does the common thing where he goes, "You're not, you're you're too pussy, or you're too you're too much of a nice girl to kill a man in cold blood." And I think at this point he may have been like defenseless. And she was like, and he was like, "You're just not going to do this." Yeah. I, I, I can look in your eyes and I can tell. And she's not sure if she is or not. Yeah, and you don't know, but. Her stalling him gives enough time for Kang to get up and deliver like a final pure death blow to the albino. 
And the, then Kang looks at her and goes, thank you for saving me the killing blow. Mm-hmm. Which leaves the central conceit. The question still exists. Was Jadzia being a good friend to Kang? Or was Jadzia being a pussy? Yeah. And I yeah. think that, that that is an interesting question. And that's a question that you can go, that you can take with her as the show goes on. Yeah. Yeah. That's a question you're going to go back to in season five and go, was she going to kill that dude or not? And like, you know, however you want to answer that informs what you think of Jedzia Dax. I guess. I wish they'd met her. Well, I'll get to that. And then the, what would I change? Yeah. And it also, and then the next scene, they go back to Deep Space Nine. Exactly. And mm-hmm. she's getting shit. It's classic Peter Allen Fields ambiguity. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's a lot of ambiguity. Cisco has already confronted her earlier. We haven't, we didn't talk about it, but mm-hmm. he comes in. She's, she's getting her gear together. And he's like, nope, you can't go. She's like, I have to go. Please don't make me disobey an order. He's like, nope, you definitely can't go. And she's like, fuck you. I'm going. Yeah. Except a lot more polite about it. And it also made it clear that if she killed him, she would be in violation of Federation. Yeah, she's like, yeah. So there's a there's a risk that she would have been throwing her away her career if she had fulfilled this oath. Yeah, like, uh, what is it that she says? Do you think you can just go back to normal after all of this? And she's like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Actually, yep, I do think that I can, and I will. Mm-hmm. And we will, and I do. Yeah, no, n- Not to jump ahead, spoiler. You were saying that we didn't have the Cisco conversation. We haven't had the conversation about the great curacy. Oh, yeah, that that's a great scene, too. Which, by the way, Nana Visitors. She's great in that scene. She's, she's like... She's, shees firing all cylinders. Yeah. yeah, that one was... We should have spent some time unpacking that, because there was a lot going on. Yes. We were in a Star Trek episode for most of it, and then boom, we were sucked right back into a Deep Space Nine episode. Yeah. Where Pharrell's addiction <laughs> decides to ask Kira if she was about the time she was in the shit. <laughs> yeah, you were in the shit, right? Yes. Right. Yes, yeah, so we finally get the answer to, did she kill people in the shit? Yeah, it's like... Yeah, and she said, yeah, too many. Yeah. What's it like when you kill somebody? It's like, I don't want to talk about that shit. What's wrong with you? Right. What's it like to kill somebody? Yeah. Do you kill people? It's like, yeah. And they they essentially work in an office, right? So uh-huh. it, <laughs> yes. they went from like the day-to-day office life to all of a sudden asking you about the Vietnam War when you were killing people as a child terrorist. <laughs> yes. And there's a clear moment where Kira shuts down the conversation and then almost like as a choice, and you can see Kira, not Nana Visitor, let me be clear. You can see Kira making the choice to sort of take the, the anger out of the conversation and just ask though like she casually almost flippantly asks you thinking of killing somebody yeah yeah <laughs> and, then, and then dax doesn't answer the question yeah and that entices like this more surreal it's like, and she, does it bother you to talk about it it's like yeah it bothers me and it's like just shuts it down They're like it's yeah and then and then Kira goes wait you thinking of killing somebody almost flippantly and she goes yes or she doesn't say anything yeah she's she's been in the shit she knows she can read wait a minute you're gonna kill a motherfucker aren't you i know what's going on yeah yeah it's it's pretty great. And then sort of the, not not necessarily original to the show, but this the concept was said that when you kill someone, a part of yourself dies too. Yeah, yeah. And that's why you've got to eat their heart afterwards to get that part back. Right, yeah. Are you yeah. prepared to eat yeah. the heart of the... Who asked her that question? Who asked her that? Are you prepared to eat the... That was Kang that asked yeah, her. Yeah, that was Are Kang. Are you prepared that's to a... eat the heart of the Valpina? That's another thing I'm going to get into and what I would change, but... Okay. Well, we should get... We should transition into that. Okay. Because I got the nothingest. I got, I don't, I don't know. I, I would say, uh, okay. Scheduled two, two days more of filming yeah. and worked harder with Terry. Okay. But let's yeah. wrap it up. They is, essentially, we have the Jean-Claude Van Damme cannon fight at the end. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have casualties, Koloth and Kang bite the dust. 
Core is left living. Mm-hmm. Jadzia is, still has her career at Starfleet, and the Blood Oath has been satisfied, right? Yeah, yeah. She she walks back into DS Nine, and they're just like they don't say shit. She didn't kill anybody. Like, no, they're like she killed somebody, and we're just not going to talk about it. We don't want to talk to you. Well, she didn't kill anybody. She participated in an act that ended with someone's death. They don't know. That's true. She disobeyed order and went out and killed an albino or was party to it. She made the choice that they all to- they all told her not to do what she was doing. She went and did it anyway. Mm-hmm. And then she comes back and just kind of weasels in. Nobody says anything. They're just like judging her. Like, mm-mm. They're just, you know, you shouldn't have done that, but we don't know how to deal with you now. Yeah, like... Which is great. I That's that classic Peter Allen Fields ambiguity that I love so much. Yeah, but let's ask the question. Can you... Can we... If I... Like, there's no government in Somalia. Somalia is just a no man's land. Can I openly kill someone from Somalia? And since they're not going to press charges on me, am I fine to come back into America and live my life? Yeah. Am I? Like, in real life? Probably. Do you have some Somalian scores to settle? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Let me check since I can't. I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this line. The Somalians aren't going to, if America's not going to extradite you, they're not not going to charge. No, I'm just saying that, I guess I'm saying that the Frank Lloyd Wright, yeah, the Frank Lloyd Wright planet isn't going to press charges on Dax or Core. James, do you have a Trump rally you need to get to? <laughs> why are you asking? Why, what's with this line of questions? <laughs> I guess I'm saying that, like, since... That's oddly specific, though. I guess, I guess I'm saying that they went and found this guy on the strange outpost that isn't governed by the Federation. They go, go there and kill him. And then she's allowed to come back. People died. She's allowed to come back on Deep Space Nine because she didn't... Is it because she technically didn't kill anyone? Because later on, they let Kor back on the ship to go on more adventures with their cast. Well, no, because he's a Klingon. He's not... It's Klingon rules. But he's bound by the rules of the Klingons. And also, they don't want to talk to her about it. They don't want to ask the question, probably, because then they'd get an answer and they might have to do something. People died! That doesn't... I'm saying that somehow she legally was cleared of any wrongdoing. And I want to know the nature of that. I'm saying this show doesn't worry about that shit clearly enough because Bashir just got it. (laughs) (laughs) Going back to that Bashir episode where he was The passenger, yeah. People get possessed all the time and kill people and they're completely... People look the wrong way. People look the other way all the time with Star Trek. Mm -hmm. They look the way on the Prime Directive. They look the other way on Righteous Murder or... I guess so. That's what I'm saying is that since the planet that she went and killed the albino on wasn't going to press charges against her all of a sudden she just doesn't have to deal with the ramifications of going on a war party that killed people well and i guess that that's cool it's a klingon war party but it doesn't seem very the klingons have their own rules prime directive doesn't interfere with Mm -hmm. so she is a federation member and a starfleet officer so yeah well exactly that's why they don't talk about it and they because so this is clearly like a- she disobeyed rules. She dis she disobeyed in order, and that's what I was talking about before. Cisco's like, "Are we going to have to? Am, is this is this going to be a thing?" And she's like, "I don't know. If you're going to make it a thing, it's going to be a thing, I guess." And and then they're like, "We'll see when you get back." And then they're just uncomfortable, and they're giving her the stink eye at the end. And Kira is like afraid of her. She's getting her this look like, I, "Man, I don't know what to do with you now because I'm I see what you did, and I'm a little bit afraid of you." That's that's the look that Nana Visitor Kira is giving at the end of the episode, which is great. Yeah. I don't know. But that's not the look they're giving her at the next episode. <laughs> and that's going to be like the thing that bothers me. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's when you go back to like, do you think I'm going to treat you different? And, and she's like, nope. 
because yeah, next episode they they move on. It's an episode of the week. They forget about it. Okay, I'm changing one. I'm changing the thing. I would change about. This okay, episode. well, let's just get into it then. What <laughs> okay. would we change? Do you want me to go first? Two things. I would make. I know because I got the. I probably have the least amount of shit. I would clear up the three dead babies thing. <laughs> sure. That would easily be cleared up one way or the other. Yeah. That needs to be cleared up, and uh, I would clean up her, the legal ease of what what is her liability in this in the deaths caused at Frank Lloyd Wright's house in Pasadena. Yeah. Okay, that's it. That would change those two things. All right. So you guys can go okay. on. Okay, well, the the liability, spent too much time cleaning that up, and that, that gets rid of that ambiguity that I like at the end of it. <laughs> no, I'll, just two two or three episodes. But, two, uh, two or three episodes. You have someone say, well, we can't technically charge you with anything right, right. because of whatever, whatever, and then you'll still allow the ambiguity and this sort of strange nature set in. All right. yeah. See, so the thing I would like to change, I'll get into mine. Mine was one... When she's got the albino at the end, and she's either she decides she doesn't want to kill him, or you give you show that she's made a decision, and you give you clue in that she's not just like I've mentioned before and things I would change. Just show that there's a, a decision that's been made. Either she doesn't want to kill the guy, yeah. or she sees Koloth behind him and gives him a wink and a nod to say, "I'm giving you the killing blow," which is probably how I would have done it because that's it's his son. So you would have made it. You're saying that you would have made it clear that Dax was consciously not killing him and giving Kang the death blow. Yeah, I would. I, I would have the albino shit talking her like he is already, and then you see her give a nod to. Kang behind him and then she and then he gets stabbed and he's like oh I thought you were a pushover I see that you weren't but there's none of that she's still a pushover in this which is I guess kind of maybe that's the decision she she's ambivalent the whole time but just make a decision mm-hmm. and the other thing the biggest thing I would have done is maybe they couldn't do this because of just 1994 television couldn't get it past the SEC you cut that motherfucker open and you eat his heart <laughs> I would have had her roll back into DS9 with blood on her chin, and that's why everybody's afraid of her. She's got heart bits like in her teeth. Well, if she ate his heart, there's no ambiguity. Well, no, no. There's no plausible deniability when you eat the heart. <laughs> right. Well, the guy got killed anyways, and then yeah, even yeah. if she didn't want to, she's got to eat the guy's heart. She made a blood oath. She lived up to her blood oath. If she doesn't eat the heart, she's not living up to the blood oath. The guy's dead already. She's I gotta eat say, the fucking, yeah, I, I, but you know, there's no blood in this episode. You're right. You're right. Dirty up the Klingons a little. Like they're they're extreme. Yeah, there's no blood, even when they're cutting people with batless. But it's probably just because this is a primetime show; they can't show that much blood. Well, but you could have still but filmed it. You could have filmed it. I would have done some Hannibal shit, cut the guy's chest open, and they pass the heart around. That's what I would have done. But yeah, I would I would have Jack's like Khaleesi eating that fucking heart. That's pretty hard to top, as far as a thing that you change. I. Initially, when I watched this episode, my thing I was going to change was a pretty big one. And I've actually, since we've, in the show, I've actually changed my mind. My my argument was going to be just leave them in their original makeup and make them look old. But as we talked about, and, and in fact, that would still work, I guess, with the, with the cure thing. I mean, you could just make the case that they weren't cured and still have the 2005 Enterprise episode still work. But I've... But I'm with James. I think seeing how you guys struggled with how unclear that the other guys, their sons were, that's the glaring problem with this episode that, that you couldn't watch it once and get that. 
Yeah. Or that two out of three of us couldn't couldn't catch that. Yeah, and I still, like, I've never openly disagreed with an interpretation from Henry Alpha, but I, I still don't think that that's what, that's right. I may be wrong, and I mean. Well, yeah, oh, no, see, that's just it, is that you, you still disagree with it. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still, I think it's right, I just think it's not clear enough. I've never correct. disagreed with an interpretation on Memory Alpha, but I, I do with this, and I, I think I'm All right. right. Well, I'll have to get out the receipts later this week, and I'll text them to you. But, <laughs> yes. Right. I still think I'm going to side with Hugh. I think, hey, man, I can't fight Rome. I'm saying Memory Elf was right. I think it's right, but I still think the script is a little bit not clear enough because they, mm-hmm. because of how hard they sell Kang as a ring. Well, here, James, let me pose this question to you real quick. Okay. Do you really think Trek fandom would let, for 20 years, something sit on the internet that wrong? I think, I think Memory Elf is kind of messy. I think Trek fandom isn't what it used to be. Oh shit, Trek fandom! Did you hear that? Again, let me say, James Nolan's opinions do not necessarily agree with those of. Uh, let me let me say this. Let me say this. I think that the lie, the caretakers and catalogers <laughs> of a of a fandom that used to exist before a Wikipedia style format. I just don't necessarily know. Like, I'm willing to say that I think that. Obvious. I think that Peter Allen Fields. Okay, guys. I think. Okay. I think that he made an unclear passage. Okay. All Do right. we all well, agree that it's kind of ambiguous? No one's. Let me, no, no one says that it's clear in the episode. I will agree. As much as I, it yeah. was clear to me. But I think it's in there. But it's. I, I got it, it the first time. But but as far as hard as they sell, I think what confuses you is how much they look to Kang and nobody else has taken the lead on it. It's. Kang's vengeance. It's Kang's yeah. vengeance to extract. And I get that because Kang was the more powerful Klingon of the three episodes. I get why they adapted that way. Okay. But well, where do you think where do you guys think that the fans were on this on the IMDb? Let's let's get into that real quick oh. before wrapping it up. Fans love Klingons. I'm gonna say it's an eight. Duet was eight point three, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh it's eight point one. All right. Well, out of 622 votes, this ended up with an 8.0 out of 10. Oh, way to go. Oh, I won. You won. Yeah, eight on the nose. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Not bad. Yeah, I won. I won something. <laughs> I don't so know. That's where that's where we are on, on uh, Blood Oath. Okay. So, just to establish, because I set this, I set myself up for this earlier. I still think Duet's a better episode. Okay. Because du- duets the well, yes. full yes. <laughs> should, should, duets yeah. the full package. You said you were just baiting us. You I was baiting it. I was baiting it. <laughs> Duet and probably necessary evil because they're the, both the full the full package. Yeah, yeah. But I think this is third. This is pretty great. Yeah, I, I like this. And this and is I pretty love, great. Yeah. And I think that if this was the same script built around, oh god, a higher caliber of actor. <laughs> I think right. this would have. Is this the last Peter Allen Fields episode of this season? I don't think so. I, I did he not write the wire? Uh, maybe. He I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I think there's like several. This is 26 episodes this season. So, um, right. so the, 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 we're not anywhere near the end. Um, I think he wrote one more, okay. and I think he may it may have been the wire. I don't know. Okay. No, I, I think. Uh, yeah, I think we have a, a few more to go. So. All right. And then, and then we don't have one in. Again, until season six, and that season six is when it's in the pale moonlight. So, <laughs> right, and then, but then, apparently, he mainly just got credit. They rewrote his script a whole lot for the pale moonlight. Who rewrote it? I'm not sure, but apparently, somebody on Twitter 
or somewhere else pointed out to me that he gets the story credit. Mm-hmm. He didn't write the teleplay, and apparently te- the teleplay was heavily changed. Oh, really? A lot of it was because he's so fucking great. They're like, it's based on a Peter Allen Phil story. We're going to give him the bulk of the credit, but it was changed a great deal. It was changed a lot. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was a Jake story, apparently. Oh, yeah. okay. So, uh, no, Robert, Robert Hewitt Wolf wrote The Wire. Let me hold okay. on. I think Blood Oath might be the last one. It may be. This season, anyway. I don't he know was still in the writer's one... room. So, I mean, like, I think, like, he may have had yeah, some, yeah. Some, some contributions. But, yeah, no. So, next episode, man, we we got a gamut here to run. So, in the next, we got seven more episodes left in the season. Episodes, the next two episodes are the, introduces the Maquis, which is a very pivotal Whoa. Uh, point. And, and also introduces Dukat as a very important character of, of, Non-utility, like he is a character on. He becomes a character on the show after this point, right? Like not just a utilitarian sort of villain face of the Cardassians. Then you have after that, it's a wire, which is a pivotal Garrick episode. You have some more. You have the collaborator. You have Tribunal, both of which are, are pretty deal. And then it ends with the Jim Hadar, well, yeah. which introduces the 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 nature of the Dominion, yeah, into the show. So yeah, like the rest, I I think we've 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 been through some forgettable fucking episodes man for a while have you been in the shit we've been in the shit <laughs> we've been in the shit of forgettable fucking episodes and i think that's about to change so excitingly all right all right all right gentlemen yeah well you've stayed with us quite a while tonight yeah i, I think we've i think we've put this one to rest <laughs> yes this is better than an albino at the end of this episode <laughs> we will eat its heart now yes all right three to beam out <laughs> three to three. beam out Wow. Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? Please review us on iTunes. We need to feel loved sometimes. Please follow us on Twitter at AcquisitionPod. And on Tumblr at the rules of AcquisitionPodcast.tumblr.com. Guys, I talked to my girlfriend. I mean I talked to my friend's girlfriend. I mean my friend talked to his girlfriend, and 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 I'm all fucked up because she is a totally cheating lying two-timing Martian government build piece of shit horse slut. My friend is all fucked up. What are you doing tonight? What to get some ice cream and watch Babylon 5? I am super lonely. Because because of my friend. Fuck me. I don't have any friends. <laughs>